What's good, what's good, it's C. Wood. Back at you again with another hard-hitting episode of Ball About the South with C. Wood. Ball About the South, it is that sports podcast with real sports talk. And it's also full of Southern flavor. I am your host, Kerry Wood. Just call me C. Wood for short. At C. Wood on sports on Twitter and IG is where you can find me. And I want to welcome you into this new episode. As we are really getting that much closer to the football season starting 2022. We're officially in week zero for college football. And then obviously next week, everyone else gets to go with week one. And then, uh, yeah, man, we got a lot to talk about, a lot to discuss. We'll uh, do some college football talk toward the end of the show. We'll kind of focus uh, more, kind of more focus in on Alabama and Auburn in this episode. We'll get to the SEC in my next episode, the SEC and also the HBCUs. We'll get on that and uh, have a good time with that as we get closer to kickoff, man. So definitely glad that you decided to join me here on Ball About the South. Whatever platform you're listening to, I hope that you will like, subscribe, do all those good things, and comment, man. If you're on a platform like Apple, Spotify, where you can make a comment, or you can make a rating as well, if you like what you hear, uh, obviously you might well give me that five-star rating, but if you don't like what you hear, obviously it'll be a lot less, and that's fine. I mean, whatever you think the rating should be, uh, let me know what it is. I would just like feedback to let me know what you like or dislike or think I should add or subtract from the show. I really would like to hear it. Either way it goes. So anyway, again, I want to welcome you in. So let's get started with this thing. And it's been kind of a, <laughs> a rough week or two for me to a degree. It's one reason I'm so late dropping this episode. This this episode is really kind of should have been done last week. Um, you know, I got had a couple things going on. I had had an accident on uh, I, uh, on my eight to five or nine to five job, or whatever you want to call it. I do a lot of traveling within the southeast, and I I hit a deer on the interstate. <laughs> it was not the best experience, to say the least. Uh, uh, hit the deer on the interstate kind of uh, about an hour, hour and a half south of Memphis. I was in the state of Mississippi, of course. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I hated hitting the deer. The deer just came out of nowhere. It was kind of a wooded area there in the median. And I had no chance. I mean, no chance to really react. Just hit the deer, and I'm really sorry about that. But, uh, you know, I'm also sorry about the way my car looks. <laughs> okay, it's a company car. So it's, you know, that's, in a way, is, is, is not as bad on me, I guess you could say, because uh, the company, I think, understands that some things happen like this. But this, for me, this was the first time I'd ever had a wreck like that. Uh, had a fender bender once, but that's that's been it for me as far as wrecks or accidents, man. And um, that one was kind of threw me, did a lot of damage to the car. Not a good sight. <laughs> Not a good sight. But the main thing is I'm fine. Uh, it didn't do a thing to me. Uh, the, the airbag didn't deploy anything like that. So I'm thankful to God that um, everything kind of worked out. 
biggest stranded there in Mississippi. There were no rentals. Uh, I don't know, man. If you, I, I know we're getting toward the end of the uh, summer travel period, but if you're trying to travel somewhere and you know you're going to be driving, you're going to have to rent a car, I would suggest you start out early <laughs> and then reserving it because things are kind of uh, scarce, to be honest with you. There's a lot of stuff still going on with the chip shortage and all of that and people having to put their cars in the shop and parts are still delayed by a lot of retailers about a lot of uh, manufacturers and everything it's just kind of a mess so getting a rental car can be a little bit of an adventure but you know so i was stranded there an extra night in mississippi but i was able to find a hotel and i had a good night there and everything was okay so other than that so you know just a little bit late I had some things pushed back so that kind of has me a little bit late bringing this particular episode to you but anyway man so uh, you see the title of this particular episode and it's too much pressure and it's, again man, I think of all the pressure with what goes on with the Miami Dolphins this season is squarely on one tour Tongo by law and a lot of it I get I mean don't get me wrong I, a lot of it I get because we have not seen him perform the way you would expect a top five pick to do especially a quarterback especially one that had all of the accolades had all of the um, yeah, except winning a Heisman Trophy he didn't do that but you know he did he won a national championship in dramatic fashion, we all remember that he was in a national. He was in another national championship game there at Alabama. Then uh, you know, and then of course the next season came, and he had the major injury, and that really just kind of turned the tide big time. You know, no pun intended on that. But uh, the pressure, I think, is really high on him right now, not just for himself not for just for the Miami offense but I think for the entire team as a whole I think all of this whatever happens to the Dolphins is going to be squarely on Tua Tonga Baloa's shoulders I don't know if that's really fair I mean obviously the quarterback is going to be the face of the franchise uh, more times than not we all understand that but uh, I, mean, I think a lot of the criticism is a little bit, maybe a little bit overblown about Tua, man, because, you know, the things that I keep seeing in the news, on social media and everything, is he can't throw the deep ball. I mean, that is the most prominent thing that you're seeing, and it is really, <laughs> it's really kind of throwing me because, yeah, we haven't seen as much of it since he's been Miami, been in Miami. I, I totally agree with that. And I don't think we necessarily saw a lot of it at Alabama necessarily, but the reason you didn't see it at Alabama is because they didn't really, I mean, you saw it, but you didn't really see a lot of it because they didn't really need to throw the ball downfield like that. <laughs> it wasn't necessary. Alabama's offense was just ridiculous, and they would, they could just hit those little slants, those little 10-yard ends or whatever, and Devontae Smith and and jerry judy and all of those dudes would, would catch it and take it to the house two would hit them in stride and you know and they, they wouldn't have to break their run at all and they would take it to the house that was just kind of the way it went Jalen waddle again who was 
who was a teammate of Tua's, of course, now in Miami, was another of those recipients that, you know, <laughs> he hit him in stride, and it and, and it was off to the races. So it it, it really wasn't needed. The case here in Miami has been. I don't think they've had the personnel. I don't think they've had the personnel on the offensive line. And I don't think they've really had the guys on the outside until now. I mean, obviously they added Jalen Waddle last season. And now they've added Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill comes over from the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. So <laughs> they've actually even worked on the offensive line as well. They've, uh, you know, still some questions there but I think they've definitely tried to improve things so the Dolphins are doing everything they can to kind of take away all of the excuses and you know so but again there's still that, that narrative is still sticking with Tua man that he can't throw the ball downfield and I just I, I just think it's just I, I just I think it's really not a good uh uh you know, I don't think it's a good look to, to say that. I think that the offensive line problems have been a, have definitely been a deterrent. I mean, how are you going to sit there and load up and throw the ball deep when people aren't blocking for you? I mean, it's just... Or, what about this dude's injury? I mean, he came out of, of, of Alabama with a major hip injury that obviously cost him the rest of the regular season there after, you know, after that Mississippi State game. That was the game after they lost to LSU. Um, I mean, it took him a while to get back, and, you know, I would I would say that he probably was not 100%, especially that first season coming back. And then the second season, I mean, I think even maybe if he's 100, if he's 100%, you, you know, maybe you can still kind of be a little bit tentative and throwing the football, you know, really kind of stepping into your throwing. I think using that hip, especially on his left side, being him, you know, him being a left-hand thrower, stepping in probably was a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of an issue and, you know, really stepping in and putting zip on the pass and or uh, stepping in and throwing the ball downfield and throwing it as far as he could or whatever. I just think all those things have added up to issues that maybe Tua could not overcome. And I think I think they're valid issues. So you're coming into this season, man, they've you know, they've they've again, they've revamped things on the on the offensive line. They've given them help on the uh outside with Tyreek Hill. They have Jalen Waller, they have a tight end and Mike Gesicki that can really stretch the field at the tight end position down the seam, which I think is very important in today's game. I look for bigger things out of Tua Tonga Valor this season. I, I just do, and I think he will be able to put away that notion that he can't throw the ball down the field. My, my, my thoughts about Tua coming out of college, even though he didn't throw many interceptions, I mean, I haven't gone back and looked at the stat to see how, exactly how many it was. But there were two or three interceptions that I can sit here and just blatantly remember from Tua's Alabama career. And it had me thinking this dude is a little bit too much of a gunslinger. 
<laughs> I got you got people around here talking about he's scared to throw it. I think again, that's what I'm saying. I think there are reasons this dude was scared to throw the kind of scared to really step in there and really throw the football. Again, and another one of those things is probably besides the injury, besides the lack of help around the offensive line or whatever for the Miami Dolphins, the lack of blocking, I should say. I think the other one made with the pressure too. So, man, you sit there and look at how those couple of interceptions that, you know, this really stick out. The first one, 2019, 2018, rather, 2000, uh, it was really, I guess, the 2009th of January of 2019, but it was the 2018 championship game, the first quarter against Clemson. He throws that pick. I can't remember who it was and picked that uh, pass off for Clemson, but it was obvious that play wasn't really was not there. It was a play where Tua kind of tried to force the ball in. Clemson got jumped around, took it to the house for a pick six. The second one that really jumps out to me was 2019, the, uh, the very next season against LSU, you know, the, the you know the, the, the incredible LSU team with, with Joe Burrow and Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and all those dudes on that football team. Opening drive, Alabama takes the ball right down the field. Right down the field, like t- three plays there inside the 10-yard line. Tua tries to get the ball through to the receiver there in the end zone, and it was through a lot of traffic, a lot of yellow... Um, and yellow and purple helmets in that crowd, the ball gets picked off. So it really went from Alabama at least being up 3 nothing if, you know, the, the drive stalled, but more than likely should have been up 7 nothing to LSU first and 10, and they take the ball down and score themselves. So it was really a 14-point turnaround in that game. Again, I say that because those were huge moments. And for me, both of those plays were kind of a, a, a you know, a kind of a gunslinger type mentality, and those were pressure ball games, and that's why I bring this up, man. Is the pressure going to be too much for Tua? Are we going to see him make mistakes like that? That is my reasoning for for saying what I'm saying right here. But also in a situation like that, where I, I'm telling you, I. <laughs> I, I thought if there was a you know a weakness about Tua Tonga Valoa coming out of Alabama going to the NFL, is is he gonna be too much of a gunslinger? And now the narrative is sort of flipped and I think is I think there are a lot of reasons why it's flipped. And, and we'll see if he can turn it around this season. Uh as for the for the Dolphins as a whole, looking ahead for them because you know, they're obviously down here in the South, but they're the, kind of the oddball because they're not in the NFC South. They're not in the AFC South either. They reside in the AFC East. I look for them to be, I would say, now they were 9-18 and 18 last year. They just missed the playoffs. It was looking like there for a while that they they really had a good shot to make the playoffs. It didn't turn out well for them. But um, getting to 9-8, and eight, I thought, made it a pretty decent season from the year before okay so now this season can they take another step obviously that's going to depend on two man even though 
I think you look at the defense, you look at a defense that finished middle of the pack. I think they finished 16th exactly in uh, scoring defense. You, uh, they have a couple of really good guys on that defense. I think they can get pressure on the quarterback pretty well. But they're not a great defense, but they, they're, they're okay. And I think they'll probably be about the same this coming season. I think you sit there and you look at the rest of that offense. The running game has really been uh, Miles Gaskins and has kind of been the, the guy for the last couple seasons. He's had a couple injury that you know, injuries that uh, could be part, you know, troublesome here or there or whatever. But I think he's still the guy. They have a couple guys I think that are pretty good behind him. So we'll see if the running game gets a little bit better to kind of help Tua out a little bit. I think that uh, again, I, I I think this offense obviously should be improved with a guy like Tyreek Hill, though. So all that said. It's a team that went nine and eight last season. I, I I think that with the AFC being so loaded, I mean they're just team after team after team in the AFC right now. I think if they finish nine and eight, but it, I think it depends on what type of nine and eight it is. If we see two will come along, and this team goes nine and eight, then I would say it, it may even be an improvement. Now, obviously, nine and eight is not going to get them in the playoffs. Ten and seven may not get them there. But I can see this team improving in that AFC East, even if they don't win any more games than they did last season, if that makes any sense. I think you look at the AFC East, obviously the Buffalo Bills are the favorite. I think the Patriots are a team that, you know, I, I've kind of placed with a, you know, a few teams, where, you know, Pittsburgh Steelers, maybe the Ravens or the Bengals. I could see the Ravens or the Bengals winning that division. And then I could see the Steelers and the other team being right there with a chance to get to the wild card game, wild card playoffs. Um, I think you know maybe a team like uh, the Denver Broncos out west or the San Diego Chargers. I'm sorry, San Diego, L.A. Chargers out west could be one of those. I think the Dolphins could be in a pack of those teams for those last couple playoff spots. So. I would say right now, I would say I'd give them a window of between eight wins and eight and ten wins. I think that's where they'll fall. I don't think Miami will get the 11 wins. I, I really don't, but I think they could get the eight or ten. Ten may be enough, but it's doubtful. So I, I, I had to say, I, I would say that the Dolphins probably missed the playoffs. But again, if they can get to nine and eight again and two, or ten and seven and they see Tua take that step forward that everyone wants to see, then I would say things would be looking up a little bit more for the Dolphins in the future. So, anyway, we'll see if if the pressure is too much for Tua going forward, though. Um, While we're talking NFL, I do want to kind of talk really quick about the Tennessee Titans and their um, matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They played their last Pre, their second uh, preseason game last week against the Buccaneers. They actually had some practice time in, in camp against the Buccaneers as well. Uh, of course, that camp was minus Tom Brady, but he is back now. <laughs> Tom Brady is back now. We'll see how that goes with Tampa Bay and the NFC South again. We'll talk about them here in a future episode coming up before the season starts as well, but we'll get a little bit more in depth with them. But Obviously, 
you sit there and you look at both these preseason games, the story has been more about Malik Willis. And I think it's been a mixed bag. First game, he had a couple good plays. He did score the touchdown on the ground. But he, you know, we saw him take a sack that he probably should not have from his blind side there early in the game. Almost threw a pick six there early in the game. Uh, you can see uh, that he's still learning what he needs to do in the in in, a, in the pocket, especially a clean pocket. Really making sure if he has a clean pocket that he can give that play a little bit more chance to develop, or he needs to maybe go through maybe another progression or two to make sure that play is not there instead of just bailing out of it. Which, you know, again, a lot of running quarterbacks kind of do that same thing. He's got to get out of that. He's got to learn to get out of that. He's got to learn to give that play a chance. But other than that, I like the way he looked in the pocket, though, on other plays. And then I think that was one of the biggest questions about him coming out of Liberty. They're playing in that spread offense from Hugh Freeze or whatever. Him, how strong is he going to be in the pocket? How... You know how fundamental. What are his fundamentals going to be like? Is he, you know, what is the footwork going to be like in the pocket? Uh, some of those plays, I like what I saw. So I think the development is coming on. We're hearing good things. Obviously, again, this this dude is pretty raw. We all know that. So, you know, we're not uh, Titans fans. Uh, you know, look, I, I would, I know, are very excited. I would love to see this dude get some play, man, on the on the field this season. I would love to see it. Who knows? Maybe there is a package where they can uh, kind of take advantage of his his ability. Uh, you know, some short yardage things or whatever, I mean, a couple plays a game or whatever. Uh, you know, certain situations. Maybe there will be that that Mike Vrabel comes up with Mike Vrabel and Downing and. Tim Kelly or whatever, we'll see if those guys can come up with something that can, you know, can be conducive for him to, to, you know, do a little something, something here this season. Other than that, man, I think if nothing else, though, it's confirmed that, that Ryan Tannehill is still going to be, for the Titans, he is still going to be the guy that's going to have to lead them to hopefully, uh, is you know winning the AFC South again and maybe making some noise again in the playoffs like they did three years ago. It's going to have to be up to him. So there's another guy that's going to have a lot of pressure on him because, you know, that playoff game against Cincinnati is still sticking in a lot of people's minds. So he's going to have to come back from that. We'll see if he can do it. So I think if there's nothing else that I think that that is that has been the telltale sign of what's going on in Tennessee. That you know, the thing about the Titans, though, for me, is the I don't know. It's kind of really lack of respect that they're getting around the league. Uh, maybe not within you know amongst the players, the coaches, or whatever, but amongst the fans and media. And it's the same questions all the time. Obviously. You know, you sit there and you think about Ryan Tannehill like I just uh, pretty much got through talking about. You know, you think about those picks. You think about those three interceptions against Cincinnati in the playoffs. No question about it. You think about some of his inconsistencies even from the regular season. So, um, 
Uh, and then, to be truthful, everyone really questioned Tannehill even coming out of Miami. <laughs> so uh, the questions about the Titans remain from so many people. And the thing is, again, while, yes, there's no question about it that, that the Titans are a little bit different team. Where they, uh, they're missing a couple of the offensive linemen that have moved on, actually, to the Buffalo Bills, no less. Um, you look at A.J. Brown, who's moved on, of course, uh, to Philadelphia. And that's a discussion for another day, what's going on there with him, because we're seeing him still kind of talking on social media about what happened there in Nashville with you know, between he and the Titans. I mean, we've heard the Titans' side of the story. We've heard his side of the story. So usually it's kind of, you know, somewhere in between what the actual truth is. But obviously, though, you know, losing A.J. Brown, who's who's the best receiver that they had, no question about it, maybe the best Titan receiver that we've ever seen, um, you know, that that's probably going to at least hurt for a minute, you would think. Now, they did get Traylon Burks in the in the draft, so we'll see if he can be the guy that can kind of uh, ease the pain of that. But still, beyond that, man, this team, <laughs> uh, they were 12-5. and five. They had the best record in the league. They won the AFC South. They had home field advantage, of course. You know, that didn't mean, it turned out to not mean a whole lot. But um, I, this is also a team that won those 12 games and won the division while amassing over 200 games of injuries between all the players. So, I mean, with all the players combined, the number of games missed was over 200 and something games, 240 something games. I can't remember the exact number. It was 240, 245, 246, something like that, which is insane, which was second in the league. And they won 12 games. Derrick Henry, the best, or if you want to sit there and say second, third best, whatever, you know, I, for me, I think it's just him and Jonathan Taylor. But, you know, you may want to throw another guy in or whatever, but still, regardless of where you think Derrick Henry ranks, you know he's one of the top running backs in the league. He misses half the season, and they still won 12 games. And we know how Derrick Henry, how important he is to that passing, um, uh, to the play-action game with Tannehill and, and the passing game for the Titans. So it's just kind of wild for me, man, to hear a lot of people say that, um, they really don't give the Titans any shot. I'm not going to say they don't give them any shot, but they don't give them much of a shot to get back to the playoffs. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out. But, again, Tannehill has a lot of pressure on him as well. Uh, I think maybe a little bit less now as far as looking over his shoulder at Malik Willis, just in case, just in case Malik Willis had come into camp and just really lit it up. Um, I don't think he has to worry about that now, but the pressure is still on. Uh, looking at other quarterback battles around, really around the south here, the one right over across from Tennessee in Carolina, in Charlotte, North Carolina, for that matter. Baker Mayfield has now won that job. Matt Rule awarded him 
starting quarterback duties over Sam Darnold, which not a huge uh, surprise in that. Not a surprise really at all. Baker Mayfield comes in. He will be the starting quarterback. Going to be interesting to see just what he can get done there at Carolina. Can he kind of, uh, you know, turn things around for himself? I mean, again, this is another guy with a lot of pressure on him. I think maybe some of that pressure eases off of him since he's left Cleveland now. And he's going to a situation in Charlotte with the, with the Panthers where I don't think there's a lot of expectations. He does have a couple good receivers, DJ Moore, um, Robbie Anderson, I think are, are pretty formidable. I don't think there's any question about that. But when you talk about the Panthers, especially them offensively, the key to that football team is number 22. We all know that. Christian McCaffrey, uh, his health, and just how you know, just how good he is coming back off of these injuries that he's suffered the last couple of seasons, that is going to be the telltale sign for what we see from the Carolina Panthers. I don't think there's any question about that. So Baker Mayfield gets the starting job there. Looking at you know uh, some of the other news around, we talked about Tom Brady there at Tampa Bay coming. He's coming back. And uh, well, he's come back, and he's going to uh, play a little bit Saturday in their preseason game, from what I'm hearing. So that thing, that's obviously, he, I think you have to have a few reps in an actual game to kind of sort things out for yourself and for the team. So they're going to have him play a little bit there. Um, look at Jameis Winston, but that situation seems to be okay in New Orleans after the um, injury that he suffered a couple of weeks ago. I think he's going to be okay. So the Saints should be ready to rock and roll. Can Jameis Winston, man, I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, again, that's another team that a lot of people are doubting. And I'm not really understanding why. Because, again, we're talking about a team with a really good defense, much like Tennessee. Uh, Jameis Winston, I think, before the injury showed that he had his head on straight, in my opinion. And now he has more weapons than he ever had last season. On the outside, a healthy Alvin Kamara. The Saints, man, everybody likes the Bucks. Everybody's, you know, <laughs> uh, pulling up with, with Tom Brady and everything and saying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are probably going to be their team to win the South again and maybe get to the Super Bowl or whatever. I'm going to say not so fast, my friend, with my Lee Corso vo- voice. <laughs> I'm going to say not so fast. I'll talk about that a little bit more in my divisional preview of the NFC South. So, again, a lot going on with these QB battles around the NFL. And, uh, again, we're getting close to to goal time, man. And I cannot wait, cannot wait to see what happens in the NFL, specifically the NFC South and in the NFC South here with some of these battles that we have going on. Uh, anyway, man, we're going to take a quick break. When I come back, we're going to talk about, well, we're going to get into Kevin Durant a little bit later in, in the next segment. We're going to talk some college football, Alabama-Auburn specifically, but I'm going to uh, do a little bit of a tribute when I come back when Ball About South continues. Okay, y'all, Ball About South continues, and like I said before, I ended that last segment. I'm going to get into a little bit of a tribute for a few people, man. Uh, 
couple legends, uh, especially females. One of those legends is Sylvia Fowles. She played her last basketball game, basically, the other, um, well, it's been a couple weeks ago now, a couple, uh, a couple Sundays ago for the Minnesota Lynx. She has been, obviously, one of the best basketball players that we've seen here in the WNBA over the years. She played a long time there, and she is hanging them up. And she's going for a well-deserved rest, man. She has done her thing ever since she uh, landed there at LSU. She played there for the for the Bayou Bengals there, and then she went on to the WNBA. Obviously, she's had a lot of uh, U.S. national team success as well in the Olympics, gold medals galore. And I just want to salute her as she gets ready to uh, hang them up. Still can see that dunk in the All-Star game. And she gets a steal <laughs> uh, and goes length of the court and throws it down in the All-Star game. And, it, and that was that was a huge moment. It just really was. I thought it was really fitting for her to have that type of moment and for her to still have those hops to even make that dunk. Is I mean, I was, you know, that was something for me, man. It, it really was. It brought the house down, of course. So I want to definitely salute Sylvia Files. Um, job well done in her NBA, WNBA career. And uh, she deserves all the accolades that she gets. No question about that. Obviously, another female icon is retiring. And that is none other than Serena Williams. I wanted to throw this out there as well. I mean, what else can be said about Serena Williams? Forget about one of the best female tennis players we've ever seen. She's one of the best tennis players, period, that we've ever seen. And, uh, you know, her her career has been awesome against Grand Slams galore, 24 of them, or 20, uh, and, uh, 23, rather. And she was one off the record. And that's the only thing that I really hate, that she was not able to fulfill that you know, not able to break the record for uh, the number of Grand Slams won by a female. That's the only thing she really didn't do. Uh, I think that was the only thing. But, you know, she just kind of lost a little bit of her game here in the last couple of years. There's no question about that. She's always been a huge server, and that serve, I think, some people have kind of, you know, some of these new Female tennis players have really gotten, um, I think, really kind of caught up with it a little bit. And obviously, she's not getting any younger. And, it's, it's you know, all these younger tennis players that she's having to chase around the court and they're hitting the ball everywhere. And it's, it's it, unfortunately, it probably is time for her to hang it up. And I, I know that um, she didn't want it to go out like this. I, I definitely can say that. But the one thing I do want to say and I definitely am glad about is that she announced it the way she did so she does get a chance to kind of have her farewell you know at the U.S. Open which I think is very fitting I mean it's it's very fitting that is that it is the U.S. Open it's here on U.S. soil I mean you think about the you know just the fact of the matter of she and her sister Venus coming from south central LA two black girls that you know, obviously had to go <laughs> through a lot of hurdles 
to get where they are right now. Again, Venus also one of the best tennis players that we've ever seen. And, um, again, I just want to salute them. I want to salute both of them, actually. Um, again, you know, if you, I don't want to sit here and, and say that Serena's necessarily all, you know, for sure the best tennis player. I think that she is. But I don't want, and I don't want to say that in a way where I slight females like Steffi Graf and Mon, uh, Martina Navratilova and Monica Sellis and Chris Everett Lloyd, or well, I guess she's just Chris Everett now. I don't want to diminish any of those those tennis players either, though, when I say that. I do think Serena's more than likely the best that we've seen, but I don't want to say it in a way that I diminish any of those ladies as well. So, uh, again, <laughs> another job well done. You're talking about Black Girl Magic by Serena and Venus. That is the epitome of it right there. So, um, job well done to both of those females. And you're talking about uh, going through hurdles. Bill Russell is one that absolutely had a lot of hurdles that he had to go over and maneuver around and go through and go under and whatever to win just, you know, really just to be, just to play in the NBA. But this dude sat there and not only played in the NBA, not only was he one of the best players that we've ever seen, not one, not only was he one of the best centers that we've ever seen, but this dude went out and won and was a major part of 11 championships, 11 of them with the Boston Celtics. And the better part of it, about, you know, about Bill Russell is as much of a champion as he was on the court. He was just as much a champion or more of a champion off the court. So, you know, I know it's been a couple of weeks since his um, death, but I had not had a chance to say, any, you know, say a few words about him, and I wanted to make sure that I did. And uh, I thought it was a good, you know, this was a good time to do it um, Again, with uh, again, Sylvia Files, like I said, one of the best players we've ever seen play uh, WNBA basketball. Serena, one of the best tennis players we've ever seen. And then we go to Bill Russell. And uh, again, man, just, just one of those guys that, for me, should everyone should, should really respect a lot more than I think – we are right now, and I think it's a great move that the that the NBA is going to uh, retire the number six across all teams. I think that's the best thing to do. And again, uh, yeah, man, I just think we need to recognize this dude a little bit more. I just really do. A lot of people, I think, diminish his game. Well, maybe not diminish his game, but you know, they always come up with the well. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know if Bill Russell could make it in today's game. And I'm like, so what? <laughs> if he can or he can't, it doesn't diminish what he did while he was playing the game. But I mean, truth be told, let's not be, let's not get it twisted. If Bill Russell had to, I mean, if Bill Russell came up in today's game, you don't think he would make the adjustments that he had to make to be able to be just as successful as he was back in the, you know, when he played. Obviously, he probably wouldn't win 11 championships, but I mean, I'm just talking about him individually. So, anyway, I just think though that discussion really 
kind of gets out of whack a lot and, and really it's kind of, you know, to a degree is irrelevant. Anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. I wanted to tribute, send a tribute to those two ladies and to Bill Russell, and especially for Bill Russell, man. Um, he lost a legend, no question about it. And I definitely hope and pray that he rests in peace and in power. Ball talk. I did want to go over a couple of things. Well, uh, obviously we're going to talk about Kevin Durant and a couple of other things in the NBA as well. But I definitely wanted to get into Mr. Albert Pujols. This dude went off the last week or so for the St. Louis Cardinals. That is my favorite team in the MLB. He sits right now at 693 career home runs after he hit four home runs here just in the last few days, here in the last week or so. And that puts him only seven away, obviously, from hitting 700, which would be monumental. You know, that, you know that would be a huge feat for him. Obviously, this dude's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But for me, I think it would really look good if he get to, he, he was able to get to 700. And, you know, it's going to you know, only a little bit more than a month to go on the season. So it's going to be difficult for him to do that. But what a story he has been so far this season. And, uh, I, I, you know, again, I would love to see him hit that 700. But even if he can't hit 700, if he could just hit four more, that would put him at fourth on the list behind Babe Ruth, who's at third, of course, Hank Aaron, who's at second, and, of course, Barry Bonds. That would be humongous. It would put him above A-Rod, who sits fourth right now. So I'm pulling for him to at least get those four and get to 697 for the St. Louis Cardinals team that right now leads the NL Central uh, trying to hold off the Milwaukee Brewers who sit around five games out right now. And hopefully they can get into the playoffs and make a long run to, and hopefully get to the World Series. That's that's what I'm hoping goes down, but we'll see how it goes. But Albert Pujols, I had to shout that dude out for his play here over the last week or two and really for the entire season, really. So I'm really proud of that, man. Definitely got a chance to see him a couple times in person, and I'm also proud of that point, too. So, uh, yeah, anyway, really good stuff there from Albert Pujols. Uh, I want to also get into, uh, speaking of playoffs, the WNBA playoffs are going on right now. And you had a couple minor scares for a couple of the higher-seeded teams and so far in the first round which kind of thing, you know, kind of made things a little bit more um, enticing, I would say. <laughs> uh, last, you know, on the other night, Tuesday night, you had uh, the Chicago Sky, who are the defending champs. They were able to avoid that, you know, dubious distinction and win that third and final game. Now, the WNBA playoffs are set up a little bit different. Obviously, the first round is only three games three game series so instead of doing it like playing the one game at the higher seed you know opening game at the higher seed teams uh, arena then playing the second game at the lower seeded teams uh, place and then playing you know going back to the higher seeded teams arena for game three because they had home advantage home court advantage they decided to do it where the team with the home court advantage played the first two games at home 
I don't guess it really makes that much of a difference necessarily, but when you sit there and you lose one of those first two games at home, if you're the higher-seeded team, that means that closeout game, game three, is at is, is on the road. And that's what the Chicago Sky faced the other night, and that is exactly the same thing that the Connecticut Sun faced last night. But both those teams came out victorious, and it sets up a chance for them to meet in the semifinal round. Now, the other two teams that are going to be in the semifinals, the, Los, uh, the Seattle Storm, and my favorite team in the WNBA, the Las Vegas Aces, they will make up the other half of that playoff round in the semifinals of the WNBA. Uh, really good basketball going on. We'll see if Candace Parker and the Chicago Sky can get past Connecticut. And then, of course, uh, can they close this thing out and, and maybe try to repeat? I'm hoping not, obviously. As an Aces fan, I mean, you know, we got... Uh, a lot going on there. The, the Aces ended up with the best uh, record in in the league, and uh, I think they're definitely ready to, you know, kind of, you know, really put away that disappointment of not getting to the WNBA Finals last season. Asia Wilson, Kelsey Klum, um, uh, I mean, you know, all those girls are ready to. I think do what they need to do to uh, bring that trophy to Las Vegas, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. So, yeah, good, a lot of good stuff going on in the WNBA, good basketball action. Just wanted to mention those two things before I get into um, a couple stories in the NBA, and I'm going to start off. The Kevin Durant story sticks out big time. We're going to get to him in just a second. How about Chet Holmgren? Chet Holmgren... We all know him. He's the unicorn. You know, a lot of people call him the unicorn because of his uh, crazy uh, body, you know, the way his body's made up. I mean, he's really tall and slender. And then, of course, the way that he plays the game really makes him a unicorn, it makes him just totally different than a lot of players of uh, that we've seen coming to the NBA. And... He's playing this pickup game. It's called the crossover. <laughs> I think that's how you say it up there in Seattle. LeBron James and you know several other NBA athletes. Tari Eason from the Houston Rockets was another player that I know was in that pro-am. And Chet Holmgren gets injured, and he is going to be out for the season as it was announced this morning. Out for the entire season. I mean, huge blow. And now, you know, Oklahoma City is not a team that was looking to contend or anything. They're still on the rebuilding path. But obviously you wanted to see Chet Holmgren on the floor. And so now you're not going to, you know, we're going to have to go a full season without him uh, putting on that Thunder uniform. And now it really begs the question because I was just sitting there thinking about it. I was seeing this, you had this program going on in Seattle. You had the Drew League going on in L.A. Yeah, other programs and other like pickup leagues, so to speak. I know they're not necessarily pickup games or whatever, but you know, pickup leagues, so to speak, going on around the country. And obviously, the NBA stars take part in these. And I was just sitting there thinking the other day. I was like, man, 
LeBron is out there. You don't want him to get hurt. You don't want some of these other NBA stars to get hurt. And then, lo and behold, it happens to Chet Holmgren. So, you know, I, you just wonder what the repercussions are going to be. You wonder what the reaction is going to be from the NBA, from especially from these uh, the team owners. I don't know, man. You know, I think you're probably going to see some clauses or revisions in some of these contracts to say, look, hey, you know, maybe we'll be okay with you playing this Pro-Am or Drew League or whatever, but if you get hurt, uh, it might cost you a few dollars. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm not really sure how they're going to play. It's going to be interesting to see how they do that. But uh, I mean, again, I, I think it's a, I think it's a great thing that these players take part in some of these proams and, and you know the, uh, events like the Drew League or whatever. I, I think it's a good thing because, it, in my opinion, it gives fans a little bit closer. Uh, well, it gives them an opportunity, fans, to get a little bit closer to the player or whatever. It's, you know, I think it's a thing where the player kind of gives back a little bit. Just a little bit anyway, and I think obviously you sit there and a lot of these uh, programs or whatever are for charity. So I think it's a great thing. It's just, man, it's <laughs> uh, not the best thing if you're uh, an owner of a team and you're, wanting, you're paying this dude you know, millions upon millions of dollars a year. The, the chance of him getting hurt, you know, man, it just makes it really a dicey thing. So anyway, I hope definitely wish Chet Holmgren a speed of recovery. I think really the rest of the NBA will probably join me in that sentiment. So we're done with that. Let's get into Kevin Durant. <laughs> Just for a couple of minutes. I'm not going to keep you long on that part, man, because this whole thing has just tripped me out totally. I mean, I, I have just... I mean the entire the entire situation from him um uh putting it out there that he wanted to be traded from him and then you know really culminating with this thing where he wants he's okay I'll stay you know, he comes to the Nets and says I'll stay in Brooklyn but Sean Marks and uh Steve Nash they got to go I, I'm I'm not playing with them in this organization. And it's I mean, that was shocking to say the least. But here's my thing about what what went down there. Uh I think what <laughs> first of all, I mean, for Kevin Durant to come out and do that was totally I mean, just totally wrong. And it really was a little bit surprising. I, I just I never really thought that Kevin Durant would come out and be that blatant about something like that. I really did not see him showing that side. But then he went and did it. But for me, the reason that he did it was because he knew there were really no viable trades out there for him. I mean, there just wasn't. I mean, the Boston Celtics thing may have been the only one that may have still had any uh any breath of life in it. The Phoenix Suns, you know, that one was one of the first ones mentioned to him, 
heading to Phoenix. They went and signed DeAndre Aiden or re-signed DeAndre Aiden. So that one was out. You know the Minnesota Timberwolves, that deal wasn't going to go through. Uh, we never really heard anything serious from Miami, just a lot of talk. Uh, you know, just never really heard anything that really made a lot of sense except for maybe that Boston trade. And it never came to fruition. And he knew it. So this is, you know, my opinion on what, <laughs> why Kevin Durant came out the way he did because it was because he felt himself up against the ropes. I mean, he knew that he was not going to be able to be, you know, find a trade that he would be satisfied with, where he a trade where he would be in a uh, place where he would be uh, one of the favorites to win a championship or whatever this this year or maybe next year. He knew it wasn't going to happen, or at least. The Brooklyn Nets were not necessarily in any in, in any rush to make it happen. Maybe I should say it like that. Again, we talked about this on my last episode. I mean, the Nets had all the leverage, so and Kevin Durant knew it. So he's like, "Okay, how can I, you know, how can I uh, uh, come out and, and get them to do what I need them to do and get me out of Brooklyn? What can I do?" And he, we know that he is a guy that's going to play the game. He is not going to just sit out. He's not going to do that. He's not James Harden who's going to, you know, come come back to camp overweight, out of shape, start the season, you know, blatantly not shooting the basketball, not being aggressive offensively, not playing defense on purpose. That kind of thing is not in, in Kevin Durant. James Harden did that in Houston, and then he, he did it again in Brooklyn to prove a point and to get out of town, and he was successful both times. But that's not Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant's not going to do a leave of absence thing or anything like that like Kyrie did. So how could he do it? And I think this was his plan. I think this was <laughs> the thing that he said, okay, this may be the only thing that I, this may be the only card that I have to play to force them to trade me, and it didn't work out. It blew up in his face, and so now not only is he going to be returning to Brooklyn, which I I kind of predicted early on. I I just never thought the, a trade was really going to be out there for him. So, in in addition to him not being traded. He now has the embarrassment of knowing of everyone knowing that he tried to force his way out, and then and, and then the you know the other half of this is how do the Nets move? How do they how do they move out? You know how do they go forward with this thing? I mean, there's no way Steve Nash can sit there and just trust. Kevin Durant, he can't. I mean, Steve Nash, if you sit there and look at it, the three best players on that team, arguably the best three players on that team, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Ben Simmons, he can't trust either one of them. (laughs) He can't trust either one of them as far as Steve Nash can throw them. And that that is a terrible thing to... uh, that's a t- that's that's a terrible position to be in if you're the Brooklyn Nets head coach. Terrible. So we'll see how it go, how you know how things go. 
But uh, this thing could really implode in Brooklyn really quickly. Really quickly. So, anyway, we'll see how it goes. And we, obviously, we're going to be here to <laughs> break it all down. Anyway, man. And oh, by the way, before I get off the NBA and get into this football, Patrick Beverly to the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, I just, I couldn't help but laugh when I saw that trade announced. I, I couldn't help but laugh. I don't know. I'm not even going to go into that. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> anyway, man, let's get into some college football. And, and namely, the Alabama Crimson Tide. And the Auburn Tigers, at least for right now. Although there's some news around the SEC, uh, especially there on the Bayou. Man, the Bayou Bengals lost the quarterback. Yeah, they're on the Bayou. They're less one quarterback, and that quarterback situation or that quarterback battle down there is kind of cleared up a little bit more. Uh, right after Miles Brennan, he was really the. Uh, the kind of the incumbent guy really to a degree he was you know he was the senior you know the senior uh the most experienced of those three he decides to leave after he it was announced that he was not going to be the starter and uh a matter of you know which is pretty amazing turn of events there in in, in baton rouge Jaden daniels is the starter which you know it was going back and forth there between Jaden Daniels, Nussmeyer, and Brennan. Jaden Daniels is the guy that's really the most athletic of the three, and maybe that was the determining factor. I'm not really sure for Brian Kelly, but when uh, <laughs> when Miles Brennan found out it wasn't him, it was time for him to move on. And I don't know if he's really gotten uh, hooked up with anyone else since that happened. So the, the Tigers go in with Jaden Daniels and Nussmeyer being the two quarterbacks. Should be an interesting situation. I thought Jaden Daniels should win that job anyway. Uh, it wouldn't have, I could have understood it with Miles Brennan being the guy that has the experience of being around the um, uh, being around their roster, being on the roster and being around their um uh, those those coaches or whatever for a couple of years and everything, but Jaden Daniels he has the experience. He doesn't have the experience in an LSU uniform, but he does have experience there at Arizona State. And uh, I thought that was a really good move. I thought no matter what the deal was going to be, whoever the uh, starter was going to be, I kind of figured Jaden Daniels was going to get quite a bit of play anyway. That was kind of my thought process. So. LSU is set up, and I think that is probably, the, again, I think that is the best scenario for them to have a guy like Jaden Daniels come in and be a part, be the starting quarterback going forward. So we'll see how that goes, man. And again, this is a huge year around the SEC for quarterbacks. This There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of uh, transition going on with a lot of teams. So whoever has that best quarterback room whoever has the quarterback that doesn't make the most mistakes obviously that's that's a given anytime but I think especially so this season 
with so much transition and turnaround in the SEC. Let's get to another quarterback battle, which is very interesting, and that one is going on in Auburn. It was said the other day that TJ, well, I, well, I'll put it like this. Brian Harson, I don't think he really came out and named TJ Finley the starting quarterback. You know, I don't think he necessarily confirmed that. But I think that you read between the lines, I think that's what we're going to have. The one thing that comes out, really, really, really there are two things that come out about this quarterback race. One is Robbie Ashford really made a push and some people think he's still possibly making a push to be the starter. Robbie Ashford, if you don't know him, he's the transfer from Oregon. Now, he went to Oregon, but he went to high school here, right here in the Birmingham area at Hoover High School. He's, you know, he's a Hoover buck. And he decided to go out to Oregon instead of staying, you know, staying close to home or whatever. So now he's back in Auburn, and apparently he has looked pretty good in camp. He's looked good enough where there are some people thinking he should be the guy, which is, man, I, I never thought I'd see that because the other guy in this whole mix, another three-man um, three battle, is Zach Calzada. Now, Zach Calzada is the transfer from Texas A&M. He is the guy that beat Alabama last October. And he transfers in, and a lot of people just kind of penciled him in as a starter. Now, I, I really thought it was going to be T.J. Finley all along. That's you know I thought he would be the guy because he, he's been around the system. I think he possesses everything that probably Brian Harson is looking for in a quarterback. Not to say these other uh, these other two guys don't, but that that was my thought that it was going to be T.J. Finley from the jump. Call it a hunch or whatever, but that was just my my guess. And I thought that, but I thought Zach Calzada would be the second string guy, and, and I would not have been surprised if T.J. Finley struggled if Calzada ended up being the guy somewhere in you know around midseason or whatever. Calzada did not even make second team from what I'm hearing. It sounded like he is going to be the third team guy. It sounded like Robbie Ashford is going to be the second stringer behind Finley, which is very, very surprising. I mean, <laughs> Calzada transfers from Texas A&M to go to Auburn to be the third string QB. <laughs> I mean, man, really? I, I, that floored me the other day. I mean, it just really did. It really did. So, I, I, you know, I'm really not sure what things are going to be with that Auburn quarterback battle. It's, it's very interesting, man. And then you sit there, you look at the rest of that ball club. Obviously, you look on the outside, the wide receivers are not anything you would really get excited about, to be honest with you. Just basically like last season. Obviously, the running back room is on point. Tank Bigsby. I mean, starting off with him. Then it goes to Jarquez Hunter, who came on the scene last season. Then I'm hearing really good things about Damari Alston and Jordan Ingram. I mean, I think they they look really deep at the running back position. I don't think that is a uh, going to be a weakness at all. We we knew that coming in. I think, but then again, the offensive line 
which you know really struggled last season. A lot of questions remain up front, and including their center being injured right now. It's a possibility he may not play the first couple of weeks of the season. Now, the first couple of weeks of the season, Auburn plays Mercer and San Jose State. So that should not be an, an issue uh, where it's, you know, well, could they lose a little, one of those games or anything? But after that second week, the schedule amps up when the Nittany Lions of Penn State head to Auburn, which is obviously going to be a very interesting football game. So they definitely hope that, that they can have that injury settled at that point. And um, again, that Penn State, there's a lot riding on that Penn State game for Auburn. I think for Brian Harson, for whoever the starting quarterback is, uh, I think you're going to see a mix of those three guys in those first two games. I, I, I really, I really don't believe because, like I said, we haven't heard had anything confirmed by Harson. I think I just think Finley's going to actually start the game, but that doesn't mean necessarily that he's the guy. I think all three of these guys could see action in those first two games. And then whoever plays the best is probably going to start against Penn State. But it's going to be a lot riding on that Penn State game. If, if, if Auburn wins that game and they, they're up there 3-0, and then a lot of people are going to start to get excited about that team. If they're 2-1 after that, especially if Penn State comes down and kind of puts it to them, it could, you know, it could send, send, send things spiraling the wrong way. See how it works out. On the other end of the state, obviously there is no quarterback battle in Tuscaloosa. We all know that Bryce Young is the guy, and he is looking to repeat his Heisman Trophy win. I, you know, I just really just can't see it. To be honest, I, I, I would love it if Bryce could pull it off. But I just don't see it. I think the Alabama fatigue is one reason, and then I think the other, really, the main reason is. He'd really have to do, you know, perform better than he performed last season, more than likely in most of the voters' eyes. I just, I just, can't, I just can't see that happen. I just can't. Um, the thought process is that, that Alabama may have two other guys that could, to, could make it to New York. Uh, Will Anderson, who obviously is a defender, but he's the best defender in the country, arguably. Um, a lot of people think he should be there. A lot of people thought he should have been in New York last season. And then there's Jameer Gibbs, running back from Georgia Tech. This dude <laughs> is uh, he is really putting everyone on notice there in Tuscaloosa. The defenders are talking about him. They can't keep up with him. They can't get a hand on him. And you sit there and thinking about the things that he can do out of the backfield. A lot of people, and you can see it, I man. You can see the way he's built. A lot of people are comparing him to Dalvin Cook. A lot of people are comparing him to Alvin Kamara. You can see it. And if he is going to be that type of impact for Alabama, this team is, is going to be really tough to stop. I think even tougher to stop than they were last season. Much tougher, actually. And then I was just talking about Auburn's running back room, which is very impressive. I don't think there's any question about that. So is Alabama's. And you sit there and you think about Jason McClellan coming back, which is going to be huge. Uh, you know, Jason McClellan got, was injured in that Florida game. He'll be back. He is another guy that can really 
do a lot of good work out of the backfield. This Alabama team, man, they're going to rock and roll. Now, the question, I think, is the offensive line. They, you know, they have some additions. Obviously, they have some attracts, subtractions. Let me get that word out right. Uh, <laughs> they have Steen that transferred in from Vanderbilt. He's part of that uh, crazy bunch of players that, that transferred into Alabama from various schools, which is just insane. Uh, he is going to be the starting center, and that's going to be uh, very interesting to see how he goes or whatever. Uh, just really looking forward to a huge season from this offense. Really am. And a lot of people still come down on Bill O'Brien. We'll see how he, he's uh, how he's viewed here later on this season and toward the end of the season after, you know, after whatever happens, happens. But, you know, I think then, again, like I said, there are questions with the offensive line, but the wide receiver position, I think you have a lot of guys out there. It's just a lot of, you know, a lot of uncertainty because we haven't seen a lot of these guys in prime time. Now, I think the first two guys off the list are going to be Corey Brooks. He's the guy number seven that made that touchdown to send the game into overtime there in Auburn last season. I think he's going to probably be your number one guy more than likely. And then you have Jermaine Burden to transfer. Again, one of those, <laughs> this, this transfer connection that the, uh, that the Tide had coming in this past, uh, in the past few months, Jermaine Burden, he's uh, probably could be the number one guy as well. Who knows? He came out of Georgia. I think those are going to be your first two guys. Behind them, there's a lot of questions, but I think there's a lot of talent there. The one thing we did not like hearing is JoJo Earl, who's really mainly a slot guy. He was a freshman last year. He came on the scene pretty big as a punt returner, um, more so than a wide receiver, although he did get a lot of playing time there. Uh, he has an injury where he's going to be out until around the end of September, maybe even October. Which that's not good, obviously, because we a lot of Alabama fans really was I think were really wanting to see JoJo Earl in that punt return role, and obviously a guy in the slot that has blazing speed. Uh, so he's going to be sidelined for a while, and then Nick Saban was I've seen him a couple times in press conference rave, raving about him multiple times. So obviously he was having a really good camp before the injury occurred. So. You know, again, there are some questions there offensively, I think. But I think this this offense is going to rock and roll for the most part. Defensively, you've got a lot of guys back. There's no question about that. Uh, one thing I wanted to put out there is Eli Ricks. He's the transfer from LSU. He made the All-American team. He made the preseason All-American team. But guess what? It's a possibility this dude's not even going to start. <laughs> <laughs> That's how deep the secondary is at Alabama. So, you know, this team is set to, uh, I think, to really, really uh, have a good chance of avenging that loss to Georgia in Indianapolis last season. But, again, they've got to put it all together. And, uh, again, there's some, there's some indication that Nick Saban is not like the first two, uh, first two scrimmages, certain aspects of it. 
So, but again, this is Nick, you know. And then, by the way, speaking of Nick Saban, before I close this show out, this dude is going to coach to 80 years old. <laughs> I'm convinced more so than ever. He has gotten another contract extension, so he is going to be the highest paid coach in college football, just a little bit more than Kirby Smart. Um, and his, the deal goes through 2030. Actually, he'd be 78 at that point. I mean, man, I'm telling you, college football, the evolution of so many things is, is is really hurting them because Nick Saban looks at these things as a challenge. He looks at, I mean, he looked at the spread offense, you know, being able to defend the spread offense as a challenge. He looked at, the, you know, the fastball teams, as he calls them, the teams that, you know, don't huddle or whatever. He looked at that as a challenge. And he figured out a way to have his defense play pretty well against both of those uh, schemes or whatever. And then he figured out a way to get his offense straight. And and now, you know, we're all talking about NIL and, and the recruiting. And we saw Texas A&M have the best recruiting uh, season maybe ever last year. And now it's looking like Alabama could have – they could up the ante this coming season in recruiting, possibly, the way things have started out. So this dude just evolves along with the game, and he sees a challenge as, you know, I mean, he 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 relishes it. And so I think as long as this dude finds something that challenges him, he ain't going nowhere. <laughs> he ain't going nowhere, and he is signed through 2030 season. That is very exciting news. If you're a Crimson Tide fan, it really is. Anyway, man, uh, good show. Uh, again, we have a lot coming up here on Ball About the South. Uh, previews, uh, we'll get to the SEC, we'll get to the HBCUs. I did want to get into some HBCU, HBCU stuff this week as well. I did want to mention really quick. There was a lot of chatter around social media and everything about the Jackson State, North Dakota State situation. North Dakota State and Jackson State were apparently in talks for, you know, having a a series or whatever. Now, North Dakota State is playing NCA&T this season, and they are signed on to play Tennessee State. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when. I'm not sure if it's next season or the season after that. And that's going to be... a one of those things where Tennessee State goes to North Dakota and then North Dakota comes down here to, to uh, play in Nashville, which is going to be great. Jackson State turned that down. And I'm just not really understanding why. And I'm seeing a lot of people on t- social media talking about, oh, there's no reason for us to sit there and go to North Dakota State anyway. Why? <laughs> why? I mean, why not? I mean, isn't the goal that everyone wants more notoriety for HBCUs. I mean, what would be bigger than North Dakota State? The team that's won like 10 national championships here in the 2000s or whatever in, in the FCS level, going up against the team, the upstart, the team that's supposedly on the rise like Jackson State. What would be better than that? I don't get it, man. And it wouldn't have taken place this season. We're talking about this being a couple years at least down the road. We're talking about it. Let's just say it happened. I don't know if it'll happen next year. 
we were having the 2024 season. We were talking about Shadur Sanders being a senior. We were talking about two more recruiting classes and two more classes where you can bring in transfers that Prime could have been stockpiling. I think again, I don't, I don't, I really don't get that stance. I we we need a measuring stick. Just playing against the HBCUs is not a measuring stick to see where Jackson State is. So we, I, I really think we need to see something like that. I don't know. I'm sure they Jackson State has their reasoning for that, but it was pretty surprising when I saw that come across there. And uh, another bit of news there at Jackson State. They're seemingly always in the news. Of course, they get Mike Zimmer to head, you know, on that coaching staff, the former Minnesota Vikings head coach. That is pretty cool as well, though. I will say, I mean, Prime is lining this thing up in a, a lot of ways the correct way. It's just some of these things like not playing an FCS team. I'd be it's something different, you know. They were he was asked about playing Alabama. I get that one. I don't get not playing North Dakota State. But I think bringing in a guy like Mike Zimmer is a big positive, obviously for the players that on on his team. But I think it could even be a positive for players that are on other teams. And Mike Zimmer could get a little bit better eye on and guess you know, this is a guy that's gonna be respected by NFL scouts and NFL general managers and the like and who knows maybe that helps a few more players get into the NFL that's the thing I look at more than anything with this move in bringing Mike Zimmer in anyway man we're going to close this thing out it's been another great show here Ball About the South I really enjoy it I really appreciate you guys hanging in there with me and uh, definitely Hope that you hang in there with me for the future, man, as we grow this thing up. Again, please like, subscribe, do all those things on whatever platform you're listening to Ball About the South on. Anyway, we're gonna, anyway my name is Kerry Wood. You can find me on Twitter and IG at CWood on Sports. And I am out till next time. Peace. <laughs>